It's going to be just another moment. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Apologize for being a bit late today. We've been having a little bit of technology problems, which is why we're going to start with a video before I introduce my guest, because we're too afraid to take it off screen share now that we finally got screen share to work. As is often the case with my guests, they come from recommendations from past guests. So thank you, Lisa Carlin, for introducing me to today's guest, whose name is Karen Snook. She is the founder of Kindred Spirits Care Farm. I wish I had known about it before I left LA. I told her I would have volunteered there. And we're going to start with a little short video to let you know about what this wonderful organization is. This place has been a dream for a lot of years. In 2020, my husband and I got ourselves a ranch here on seven acres in Chatsworth, California. We are making it into the care farm of our dreams. My name is Karen Snook, and I'm the founder and executive director of Kindred Spirits Care Farm. Our mission is not only to heal people, but to introduce them to farmed animals as individuals. They want to be valued. They want to have fun. They want to be able to go where they want to go. They want to be able to take a nap when they want to take a nap. They all have the same needs and goals as all of us in terms of they want to be loved. And they deserve that. They deserve an opportunity to have a free life. When we first got here, it was basically just dirt and a small house. Since then, we have been working to build the pens, establish all kinds of really fun permaculture projects. We try to use and work with nature instead of imposing our will on nature. Farm sanctuaries are great places to become educated and to experience life through somebody else's eyes. It's wonderful to meet a goat and recognize that they're as sweet as any dog you ever met. I want people to recognize that turkeys are lovely individuals who have their own minds, their own ideas. They're very affectionate and lovely, wonderful animals. And they are magnificent, brilliant, funny creatures who have a mind of their own and they are just a joy to be around. Along with the interaction with the animals in green space in general, we have 75 oak trees, rolling hills. We have these huge crazy boulder uh, ancient Chumash cave it's a really magical little zone it really is kindred spirits is very special in that it's right here in chatsworth it doesn't feel like la even though it's in the middle of la it's just a wonderful calm sanctuary for humans and non-humans alike every time we come here it just feels like a breath of fresh air literally one of the things i love about this particular pen is there's lots of different species put together. They have relationships that are very complex. It's endless fun to watch who likes who and who's having a tip and who's playing games with who. They have lots of different opportunities to interact and get enrichment. That's the way life is supposed to be. Part of what makes it special for us is the people, Karen and Nate, who run the place. They know what they're doing. They love their animals, they take care of them. They're incredible. 
a great place to host an event, have a party, have a yoga class. You can have your wedding here. And welcome, Karen. Thank you so much for being here. Sorry that we had a little bit of technology problems. So hopefully the rest of the show will be audible because that's kind of important because you have some important things to talk about, like your work at the Kindred Spirit Care Farm. I don't know how I could have left LA without knowing about such a wonderful sanctuary. How did it get started? Tell us a little bit about it because Chatsworth was right in my old neck of the woods. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um Hold on here. I keep having, I keep losing your screen. Hold on. Coming back. All right. Um, how did it get started? Wow. It's kind of a long story, really, but I'll tell you. Um, I was part of the corporate world for, gosh, decades. And um, towards the end of a, a, a run with a certain company, I, I just kind of felt like, why am I spending so much of my time and my life and my energy making stuff in Arizona richer? And I just did, I couldn't, I just didn't have the oomph anymore to get up every morning and work 12 hours to make some guy, you know, more money. It just didn't make me want to go to work anymore. So I thought, okay, if I, if I do nothing else, I want to do something that's useful. I want to go and um, feel like I've had some kind of good effect on people. So I went to the, into the nonprofit world and my very first journey into the nonprofit world was with a, an organization, animal rights organization. And um, I learned a lot, <laughs> some great, some not so great. And when I left, I, I left with a couple of friends and we sat down and said, if we could build the most beneficial, the most wonderful, the most helpful nonprofit in the world, what would it look like? And we literally took about three days and a bunch of poster paper and just wrote notes and said, it's got to look like this and it's got to help these people and it's got to have animals and it's got to have gardens and it's got to, we just sat down and talked about things that had to have and things that couldn't have and, and how we would work it and how it would, how it would, and that was 2009. Um, and then I, I, one of the things I realized is that we had to have a farmed animal sanctuary as one component. I knew nothing about farmed animals, which was not so good. Um, 
So I went and started uh, volunteering and then working with a few different um, farmed animal sanctuaries. And um, in 2013, I was getting my permaculture design certificate. I don't know if that means anything to you, but it's a way of work with nature instead of against nature and imposing role, our will and dominating others. And um, part of the uh, part of the, the course is that you have to have a project. And I convinced my project team to start a, a care farm. I had discovered that the name of what we were trying to accomplish was a care farm. And we, we um, I, I don't know how I convinced the team that, that, that they could do that since none of us had any money, none of us had any land, none of us had any animals. Um, but one of my teammates said, hey, if we don't have those things, why don't we just go out and ask other people if they do. So we went out and I found this crazy little school, the public school, and it had a one acre farm right there on the grounds of the school. And there were goats and there were pigs and there were chickens and there were geese. And, and I was like, oh my gosh. And even though I tended to be a very shy person and not, um, you're not your best salesperson. <laughs> I actually just called up the principal out of the blue and said, hey, I'm doing a permaculture design certificate and I wanna make your farm my project. And he said, great, as long as it costs me zero dollars and zero cents, you're on. And I said, perfect, because that's how much I have too, zero dollars and zero cents, but let's do something. So we started and that was um, October of 2013 and I think they expected me to leave. I think they probably have had people come over the years who promised them big promises. And then, you know, they realized that working on a farm is hard work and not always pretty or comfortable. And most people wander away. Um, and I didn't wander away. I just kept coming back and coming back and fixing little things, fixed a door, fixed a pen, fixed a this, fixed a that. Um, started doing some fundraising for them. And we just sort of, went from there. And for six years, we've been, and we're still working there. Um, and that's part of our mission now actually is to, is to try to open up sustainable slash vegan care farms at high schools. Because what I discovered is that 51% of the people who become vegan do it during the ages of, between the ages of 17 and 25. So that's kind of my target group um, as far as activism. I did not know that because that's funny because I became vegan at 17. So I've been vegan I did for too. 44 years. I had no idea there were such statistics that that's when people became vegan. It makes sense because they leave home, their college, they can finally think for themselves. And, you know, it seems that the people that go vegan later, it's always because of health reasons. Because if you were going to do it for ethical reasons, you probably would have done it sooner, you know? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And that's what I will, I didn't become vegan at 17. I became vegetarian at 16. Because I at, back back then I was stupid. And I, th I did, I thought that, um, you know, dairy was benign. I thought that, you know, hey, chickens lay eggs, no one gets hurt, right? It's no problem. And, and cows give milk, no one gets hurt, right? It's no problem. So I was lacto over vegetarian for a long, an embarrassingly long time before someone wisened me up and said, you know about dairy, don't you? Like, what, what, do you, what do you mean I know about dairy? Cows give milk, right? My mommy said so when I was three and I never questioned it. And she's like, yeah, let me tell you a little bit about how cows give milk in the dairy industry. And I went vegan the next day. It was over. It was just over. <laughs> That's great. Can people that live near you visit your farm? 
Yes, I want people to visit us. Um, right now, because of COVID, things are a little sketchy because, you know, everything, everyone's nervous and, and we're not really allowed to have a lot of people. So we're, we don't really have major events right now. We do have volunteer days once a month. Um, and we have, we can schedule single household private events. So like what we do is we'll have picnics or private tours or private dinners. And we have this amazing vegan chef, um, vegan by daddy, by the way, <laughs> little shout out. Um, she makes this incredible food and we actually created a kitchen right on the, in the, uh, in the ranch. So we can have small single household um, events where people can come, they have a tour and they have either a, a picnic lunch underneath the trees or they can have a beautiful dinner. We have this one area called, we call the Oak Cathedral and it's a 500 year old oak tree. And I think two of her daughters and it creates this gigantic sort of cathedral. And if you look straight up into the oaks, it looks like stained glass windows. And we put all kinds of beautiful um, sparkly lights underneath it. And as the evening turns to night, the, the lights come on with all the, the twinkly colors. And, you know, when we make beautiful tables with linens and, and wine glasses and silverware and candles, and it's very, very special. Once COVID is over and we can have a real world again, we'll be having open public space and we'll have as many events as we can jam people into. I can't believe, so you can do weddings there. That's pretty fascinating. I did not know that'd be fun. If I wasn't married, I'd love to get married in an animal <laughs> sanctuary. With repeat your vows, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, with seven acres. So we have a lot of space here. It's not all animal pens. A lot of it is actually, we have a, 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 basically an acre that's just a picnic area. It's open space, uh, lined by some fruit trees and some olive trees. And we have a hill that's also about another acre that's really just so picturesque. It has all these oak trees on it. And um, you can see the entire San Fernando Valley from up on the hill. And it's a beautiful place to, to take photographs and take pictures. And we have this, we have a rock cliff that's just very dramatic for photography. We actually had um, some photographers here who did a whole wedding um, photo shoot. Lots of gorgeous gowns and men in tuxedos and all this, doing all kinds of different photographs all over the all over the property and even some of them with some of the goats and the sheep which was fun too so who lives there which which who who are your resident animals? um the resident animals gosh we have all kinds of wonderful friends here uh we have goats we have sheep we have pigs six wonderful pot-bellied pigs two alpacas four emus three turkeys and a whole bunch of chickens <laughs> oh and some frogs and some turtles and some fish too where, where, did, where did the animals come from? And how many total do you have? Let's see, we have about 42 animals here, not counting the frogs and turtles and fish. And then there's actually, since we're still working at the, the, the original school as well, there's another 60 something animals there. So I'm in charge of over a hundred animals on any given day. Um, but the, every single animal has their own story. Like we have one goat, her name is Angel. She's a marvelous little Lamanja goat, but she came to us. Um, she was actually pushed out of a car in an intersection in um, Highland Park in Los Angeles. So, I mean, the, the reason I know that that's how she got liberated was because the car behind that car called LA Animal Services and said, oh my gosh, someone just shoved a goat out of a car in front of me and drove off. 
And LA Animal Services called me and said, uh, we got a goat. You want a goat? <laughs> I said, sure. <laughs> Let me come get the goat. She was so sick though. Oh my goodness. She was skinny and she had upper respiratory and she had parasites and she was just on death's door, but just sweetest little thing you ever wanted to meet. And now it was months, but she's healthy and just rascally as I'll get out now. We also have a couple of pigs who were, um, they were from a laboratory. They were actually raised to be lab pigs and they were experimented on. And um, they, the lab would not tell us what kinds of experiments were done. But what I can tell you is one of the pigs, um, Alice, uh, for the first probably 12 to 15 months, if a human being came within 10 feet of her, she would scream and run away. Um, and then we have, uh, let's see, we have Alex, who was found just running around wild in North Hollywood on the streets. He'd been on the streets for a few days. I don't know what happened to him or where he came from, but he'd clearly been tethered to something with a small nylon rope, which he had chewed through, and then he ran away. And he had had no food or water for at least two days that we know of. And um, my <laughs> one of my volunteers said, hey, Karen, I heard about this goat on Instagram. He's been running around North Hollywood for two days. If I can go catch him, will you take him? I thought, wow, she has probably a 1% chance of ever finding a random goat running around Hollywood. And, I, and so I thought, sure, why not? I'll, I'll take him if you can find him. Sure enough, 45 minutes later, she texts me and says, I'm coming back, I've got the goat. So now we have Alex. <laughs> and every, every animal has their story. We have some animals straight from the slaughterhouse. We have a little um, Cornish type hen named Jane. And she was actually sort of liberated right on the doorstep of the slaughterhouse, literally. Someone um, got creative and uh, they were happened to be there when the truck stopped and they mm, liberated her right off the truck, grabbed her, opened a, opened a little uh, drawer, crate, grabbed her and ran. And um, I don't wanna be the receiver of stolen goods or anything, but she's not a good, she's Jane and she's a, a sentient, sentient being and um, now she lives here and we take very good care of her. <laughs> That's great. Mandy says, what do the schools do with their animals? Are they there to live out their lives or before you get involved, they would eventually be sold? Well, different schools are different ways. Now the school that I'm working with and have been working with for seven years is very unusual. It's a continuation high school. So these are kids who are at risk of not, um, not graduating. These are kids who have been kicked out of every high school they've been in, and this is their last chance to graduate. And this, this farm um, on that school was always a farm where the animals would get to live out their lives. So they would all, they, the, pro the biggest problem with that school was not that they had any bad intentions. The problem with that school is the, the people who were caretakers were, were, were high school teachers. They didn't know anything about how to care for farmed animals. They didn't know, you know how to feed them. They didn't know how to trim their hose. They didn't know how to keep them healthy. So a lot of the animals were in big trouble, not because of any poor intentions, but because they just didn't. So that when I came in, I had to do a lot of work. Sadly though, and this is something that I am, I am very, very dedicated to right now is um, an awful lot of high schools, they are working with organizations like FFA and 4-H and the entire point of 
having animals at there's those schools is animals as products and animals as profit opportunities. And for those schools, yeah, the animals come in for a few months and then they're sold for slaughter at the end of the school year. And those are the places where I would love to be able to come in and offer an alternative. So instead of having a farm where you have to kill all the animals every summer, have a farm where the animals are there as a rescue farm and learn how to care for them and learn how to work with them and learn learn what kinds of amazing individuals these animals are and use that as your educational resource as opposed to just learning how to feed them and get them fat so you can make the maximum profit off of them. Wow. Do you remember everybody's name? Of course. <laughs> I know everybody's name. I know, I know most of their medical history by heart and I know their likes and their dislikes and every one of them is an individual. I know and I even know, know their relationships. I know who likes who and who doesn't like who and who tends to like who sometimes. And then maybe they have a little tiff. Um, yeah, these are, I mean, they're like children. They're like family for me. They are, they are my loves. Of course, I know everything about them. That's, that's what I spend my whole life doing. Well, that's wonderful. So, so veterinarians actually can treat all these animals in LA. That I mean, they have veterinarians that, that, that can do these types of animals because it's not very common to have that in a big city. True, true. But that's one of the reasons, I mean, veterinary, veterinary help is actually really hard to find because yeah, we're not in the country. We are in this, we are very close to Los Angeles and that's on purpose. I wanted to have these farmed animals as close to the city as I possibly could. That was absolutely a part of the strategy because I want people, people from the city aren't going to drive or, or more, are more reluctant or less likely to drive an hour, an hour and a half to go meet, you know, a goat or a cow or a pig or whatever but they might drive 15 minutes just out of curiosity or maybe go to a party that's happening at that place or whatever. And then once they come to the farm and they meet them, that's when the heart opening happens. Um, but as far as veterinary help, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's been, uh, it's kind of a crazy quilt of all kinds of different veterinarians because I have some that handle birds and they know about chickens or maybe geese and that's kind of their specialty. I have some who know about pigs and that's kind of their specialty. And I have some who know about alpacas and that's their specialty. And some, I found one guy who knows something about emus and he, it's not his specialty, but he's willing to give it a shot. And he knows enough to be able to, to help them out and understand what to do and where all the parts are supposed to be and what they sound like when they're healthy and what they sound like when they're not healthy. So it's really a matter of just, I'm always looking for veterinarians who have the right knowledge and who are willing to come out because most of the time um, these animals are sort of, if they're sick, you don't want to transport them. them. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, I mean, I imagine that veterinary care, especially for animals that are not like your regular dog and cat that you can just bring in, it must be very expensive. So how, you're a nonprofit, right? How do you support yourself? Um, well, <laughs> this year, the whole plan was to have this great ranch and they were going to have all these great events. And then we were going to have all, you know, public on the property and we're going to be all doing all kinds of great things. Um, and then COVID hit. I mean, literally we bought this ranch and when we first got here, it was basically, oops, I said my internet's unstable. I'm going to wait till that comes more stable. Yeah, because I'd love for you to be able to go outside and show us, but when you go far away, it gets worse, right? Yes. Well, me, me what I can do is um, I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to get some technology in so that I can get some, so I can get better reception down on the farm. And then and we can have a virtual tour, but probably won't happen today, but maybe, maybe you'll ask me back and, and I'll have you have you meet individuals in person 
Yeah, because that I think that would be really uh, wonderful to meet the oh, family. That was my plan today. And, you know, I even tested this thing out this morning and said, oh, look, it works. Everything's fine. It's working. The Internet connection is stable. And then at six o'clock this morning, it was great. <laughs> Well, then we'll have to do it at six o'clock in the morning. So, but you are you are five hundred one c three. So, if people wanted to make an end of the year donation, uh, that would be fantastic. And yes, veterinary a thousand dollars to have a veterinarian come out once emu um, to do some work with an emu. I mean, that was a thousand dollars. Do you have any idea what it takes to fundraise a thousand dollars? But we've had our two alpacas that we got in, they had nothing but surgeries since we got them in June. They've had, they had infections and they had eye problems and they had a throat infection and they had to be neutered. And oh my goodness, it's crazy. But yes, I'd be so incredibly grateful um, if anybody was, you know, had that extra little bit of cash and wanted to make a year end donation to a place that helps not only animals, but people too. And this is one of the things that I think is really different about Kindred Spirits Care Farm and why we call ourselves a care farm versus just a sanctuary. A sanctuary is a wonderful place and I'm, I'm supportive of all animal sanctuaries because all of them have an opportunity to educate people. But the whole point of a care farm is to use um, the relationship with animals and the relationship with, with green space and gardens, because we're gonna have gardens here too, as a healing methodology for human beings, vulnerable people. That's why we started at a continuation high school. Vulnerable people, people where they're vulnerable because of cultural prop issues or LGBTQ or health issues or de depression or anxiety or anger management, all those kinds of things can be helped by working with animals or working around animals and being in relationship with animals. And, and care farms are actually, there's lots of them in Western Europe. People don't know this. There's almost none in um, United States, but there's hundreds of them in Europe and they've done studies and even long-term studies. And it's shown that people are significantly happier and healthier after having spent time with a care farm. Even, even after they stop working at the care farm, they, are, they show less anxiety, fewer anger management issues, less cultural isolation issues. And so the whole point of what we do is, is yes, I'm, I'm very um, motivated to have people meet animals uh, as individuals. And I'm, I, I want them to understand that animals are, each, each, each and every one of them is a unique and amazing sentient being. But I also am very interested in helping human beings um, recover from their own traumas and their own miseries and their own sadness. And one of the things about COVID years, like, oh, if ever there was a time where a care farm was needed, I wish I could bring in hundreds and hundreds of people right now because they could all use what this place has to offer. Yeah, it just sounds like, it sounds idyllic. There's a question from Sylvan. Does your chicken population always increase due to egg laying? <laughs> no, our chicken population never increases due to egg laying. And that's because like almost all other vegan, actually all vegan uh, sanctuaries, we don't let the eggs hatch. We actually, for us, we actually feed the eggs back to the chickens. Um, if you think about how much a chicken loses in terms of protein, calcium, and fats just to lay an egg, I mean, think about the size of the egg and the size of a regular chicken's body and the fact that they lay so many eggs, they lose a tremendous amount of their own body weight every time they lay one. So what we do is feed it back to them. That way they can consume that, those nutrients back and they stay healthier and happier longer. 
Oh, great. And Lisa says, do you have all your animals spayed and neutered? Um, we have all the males neutered, absolutely. Some of the females, um, because there are so few veterinarians who can or will do a spay because it's so much more invasive to the body than a neuter, um, not all of our females are spayed. Like, but like chickens, the birds, we can't spay or neuter because there's nobody who will do that, that surgery. So we just collect the eggs. But for all the mammals, um, all the males are neutered and many of the females, but only if we can get them young enough that we can find a veterinarian to do it. Wow, that's just so interesting. I, I got it's just I wish I had heard about you before I left because I just don't want to ever go back to LA and you were so close to me. It's unbelievable. Oh, well, reason. And then and then you can come and I will show you, I'll show you around and hopefully by that time we'll have, you know, we'll have more of it built out. I have plans to build. We have a pond now. It's a 37,000 gallon rescue pond <laughs> with rescue turtles and rescue fish. <laughs> well, you know, somebody should make a documentary about your place because I find that that's how people find out about things. Well, yes. Who's out there who can make us a documentary? That's what we need for sure. We're unique. Well, there's nobody like us in the whole world. There's nobody like us. I mean, I could have if I was still in LA. My husband, I don't know. It, it has, have you been on Jane Velez Mitchell's show? Because she's got a wide audience. She does. Well, I'm supposed to be, I think, February 15th. One of her people is going to come here and do a documentary. But I think she, I mean, because of COVID, everyone's just a little bit too nervous to do anything outside of home. Here in Los Angeles. Well, maybe when COVID is over, like you, like you said, you mentioned that, that most people, I didn't know that, become vegan between 17 and 25. Maybe we can start even younger and do tours like with kindergarten students. Because, you know, I think it's so interesting that when kids get involved with animals, like for 4-H, they're raising them for slaughter. I mean, they're not, and it's like, how can we stop that practice? That's just ridiculous. I am with you 100%. It is, it is, I think about the ultimate betrayal, not only of the animal, but of, this, of the student's innocence, that you take a, a, a human being and human beings start off with a certain amount of empathy. Kids love animals almost universally. They, they feel that connection immediately. And then we as adults tear that out of them and say, no, 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 these animals are just objects. These animals are for eating. These animals don't deserve your love and don't deserve your compassion and don't deserve to have a real relationship with you. No, these ones are for profit. You can love your dog and cat, but you can't love the pig. You can't love the goat. You can't love, you know, the emu. You can't, those are product animals and therefore they're different and lesser. And one of my, my all-time goals is to make sure that people reverse that bizarre idea. And if we can help kids never get that bizarre idea, that's even better. And yes, not only would I welcome any age group to come here and be with the animals and interact with them, but one of the reasons I desperately want to, to have part of my mission as an organization now is to um, have more Kindred Spirits Care Farms at more high schools that used to be FFA high schools. I want Kindred Spirits Care Farm to come in and take out the whole slaughter concept and instead bring in the rescue concept. And um, we're actually working with an FFA high school now. We've actually expanded our arena a little bit and we're working with a new high school that used to be FFA. And now they're tossing out FFA and they're bringing in Kindred Spirits Care Farm. We're gonna be working with them to establish rescue animals and a rescue farm and no longer you know, a project and profit farm. 
And I want to do that over and over and over and over and over again. I want to sort of what call it to, uh, uh, can't think of the name, but you know, when, when you basically create a, a template and say, okay, here, anyone and their mother can have this template and start rescue farm at your local high school. And, um, I don't have a lot of ownership over it. I mostly just want this thing to expand so that fewer and fewer kids are exposed to the slaughter concept and more and more of them are exposed to animals as sentient beings. Yeah, I, I remember one time, and this is, uh, this is I've, I've always wanted to be vegan my, my, when I was little. I, you know, I didn't fight my mom about it because I mean, I didn't really have any money, you know, when I was real little. Uh, I probably could have, you know, looking back, there are probably things I would have done. But one of the things that really made me, that solidified it was when a veterinarian said to me, you know, because I've always had companion animals, specifically dogs, who I love very much. And I, I remember she said to me, you know, if you love, your, your dog, then why would you eat, you know, this other animal? And I'm like, you know, you're right. And then that was it. Like it literally that saying, if you love animals called pets, how can you eat animals called dinner? But it just seems like the world is just so unenlightened and, and there's just so few people that are vegan. It's just like, what is it like 1% or something? Well, they, they say it's hangs around 2%. Sometimes it dips a little below. Sometimes it goes a little above, but it's been hanging around 2% for decades. And, but you're brilliant. Oh my gosh, Chef AJ. I mean, do you know how Connection. My mommy told me that cows must be milked or else they're in pain. So milking cows is actually a kind thing to do. My little three-year-old self had no I believed everything my mommy told me. And and for whatever bizarro reason, I went decades with that bizarre mythology still. My internet's going again, but it'll come back. Um, I went decades with that bizarre idea that cows should be milked because otherwise they're going to be in pain. And it took someone saying, hey, Karen, how is it that someone like you is still doing dairy? And do you know about dairy? And, and I was like, well, what do you mean cows? Don't they need to be milked? <laughs> I just, you made that connection. That makes you brilliant in my eyes. I did not make that con connection. I had to be I had to be force fed. And I wish someone had done it a whole lot sooner than they did. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any other animals that aren't necessarily rescued, but like, you know, maybe do you have any dogs or cats or companion animals that also live there that interact? Um, we have one dog. Uh, her name is Haba. She's a great Pyrenees. She's actually a livestock guardian dog. She has a job. And uh, if you know anything about the breed, they are a very interesting kind of dog. They actually instinctively have a set of animals that they consider to be theirs to protect. And they will protect those animals from whatever they think shouldn't be with their animals. And, and our Hava, she's very, she doesn't like rabbits and she doesn't like squirrels and she doesn't like coyotes. So she's 120, we say she's 126 pounds of coyote, get out of my pen. <laughs> But I also have my own, uh, my own uh, personal uh, animals. I have some dogs and cats that live with me here in the house who I, I have had for many years and who are also my beloved friends, but they're not, they're, they're, the cats are indoor only for anyone who's worried about cats roaming around and be either being eaten or, or eating birds or whatnot, they're indoor only. And um, my dogs are vegan, so they, they are not participating in the horror. <laughs> Although cats are. 
that 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 is so there's just do you find there's just some dogs you can't get to go vegan just like some people maybe because you adopted them so much later and they've developed that taste for flesh uh, i haven't had that problem i um we we sort of did it over time and i make them fresh food so they um they're not getting like vegan kibble i make them um sort of a stew out of um beans and lentils and rice and then broccoli and whatever kinds of veggies I have around. And maybe they're just gluttons. They have a problem with it. They, they eat whatever is in their bowl and they go, yeah, bring me some more. Now, well, maybe you could share that recipe because I'd love to try it with, with Bailey. I adopted her so old and I just, I, I've got her to the very minimum amount of animal flesh, but it kills me every day that three ounces that she gets. Yes. Oh, it does with my cats. I, the one thing I think is cool about uh, that, that Petri dish grown meat is I can't wait to be able to feed my cats without ever having to kill anybody else. Wait, so that's going to happen soon? Well, I don't, I don't know how soon, but it's going to happen. And they're working on it big time. And it's, it's, it's definitely in the works. Um, wow, that'd be amazing. Oh my God. That's just, I mean, I hope it happens in my lifetime. Do you guys have any questions for Karen? If somebody lived near you and wanted to volunteer, would they just contact you through the website? Yeah. Contact me through the website, or you can just email me. At, it's straight up kindred spirits care from like you see on the little thingy right there. Woo. Um, <laughs> at gmail.com and we once a month we do have a volunteer day and because uh, veganism is part of what is very important to us we actually work from nine to noon and then at noon we feed all of our volunteers a vegan lunch as our way of saying thank you for coming to volunteer and also as our way of trying to get more people to, to realize how delicious vegan food can be. So we're always feeding people. <laughs> if I lived there, I would volunteer to make the lunch. You know, Karen, everybody is asking for the vegan dog food recipe. So I have a great idea. We know the internet wasn't great today and we apologize. When you get your internet up to whatever so that we can go outside and see the animals, maybe we could do another show and you could actually make the vegan dog food. Like, like we could show you, we could film you doing that and we could go outside and see the animals. What do you think? Oh my God, I'm sure. It's just, it's just the easiest thing in the world though. It's kind of like, what's in the refrigerator? I make a- But, but, but people, people do, people like to see. A lot of people are visual learners. So that would be amazing. Okay, okay, we can do that. <laughs> and, and what I think we should do is that we'll practice the day before just to make sure everything's stable because we know- Yes. Because she started outside guys and it just, I couldn't hear her. I couldn't see her. So yeah, at least we can, uh, mostly, we can mostly see and hear you right now. <laughs> yeah, my my goal, my my original vision was, gosh, we'll just do it outside in the barnyard, and you can meet some of my friends in person, and and uh, and they're wonderful, and they're charming, and they do photobomb crazy, and it'll be actually really funny. <laughs> KTLA came here one day to do a, a couple of little mini segments. They were kind of trailers for other segments. So they were here for several hours, and they just they were out in the barnyard and. They hung out with the emus for a while and they hung out with the, with the um, goats and the, and the uh, photographer was really funny. He, I have a couple of goats who will eat a carrot. They're so carrot crazy that um, if you put a carrot in your mouth, they'll actually take the carrot out of your mouth. <laughs> and he, the photographer was very clever. He set it up such that, um, that uh, he, he filled up from the back of his head so you couldn't see he had a carrot in his mouth and it looked like the, looked like the goat came in for a big old smooch and all the goat was doing was actually grabbing the carrot out of his mouth, but um, it looked like he was giving a big kiss to my goat and it was very wonderful. That's neat. Um, there's a question from 
Maureen, do you know about a vegan dry food? Yes, and she's watching live. Linda Middlesworth, who's the owner of V-Dog, that's what Bailey eats. It's a vegan dry kibble. It's excellent. And it comes in yes. little tiny ones because Bailey's a tiny dog. And Jordan says, Karen, how do you deal with people who eat meat? Gosh, um, you know, I, I've, I've been around this planet for a long time. And I remember when I first became vegetarian way back like decades ago, um, you know, like so many brand new converted people from one you know, lifestyle to another, I, I was very um, evangelical and I was very uh, judgmental and I really wanted to make sure that everyone knew that it was really important that everyone become vegetarian to save the planet and save our health and save the animals and et cetera, et cetera. And I found pretty much universally that as soon as I got on my high horse, um, people shut down and didn't want to talk to me anymore. <laughs> and as a teenager, that kind of bummed me out. So I learned not to do that. And what I've learned is before I was vegetarian, I ate meat. Um, like almost all of us before we become vegetarian or vegan, we ate meat because for whatever reasons, we hold ideas in our head that our parents gave to us. And until someone educates us and until we have sort of an opening of the heart or an opening of the eyes um, to a certain depth, we're going to keep working with the same mythologies that we are given as tiny children. We won't question them. As certain mythologies, we just don't question. Um, and when they get strong enough, they will be willing to do some questioning. And when they get strong enough, we'll be there to give them some answers when they're questioning. And the, the point is not to make them feel awful, but I sort of sometimes think like the best way to get people to change their minds is to give them an alternative that's so much nicer than the one they're currently living in that they wanna join you. So rather than being judgmental or angry or vindictive or, you know, or argumentative, I just try to create a vegan atmosphere that's so wonderful that everybody wants to come back and they want to be part of it and they want to have their lives be more like what we've accomplished here and that will help open their hearts. And so that's where I put my attention. That's a great answer. Yeah. It's really hard though, because when you know the truth to not <laughs> shove it down everybody's throat, but um, yeah, okay. Yeah. So nice. And um, I spent lots of years being angry as all get out, but I, it doesn't work. And what I want to do in life is, is make it work. <laughs> I, I want to be. No, I know. I know. You, you, I, I don't even like the saying you catch more flies with honey than vinegar, but I think it is true. <laughs> you, think it would, you think with this pandemic though, people would just wake up, but it's, man, it's just, I don't know what it is about animal products. They're so addictive or something that people just, they just don't wake up. You know, if I could figure out what that trigger was, and I have, I've been working on sort of a, like a little, mm, I don't know, a, a, like a white paper, if you will, but just, just some thoughts that have been coming to my head about integrity and how at a certain point, remember how we were talking about how at a certain point in your life, you decide some animals are friends and some animals are food. And, and when that happens, in the moment that you have that schism, I think that there's a break in your mind somewhere, a break in your heart. You have to be in order to make those some animals into objects that you can then kill as you please, eat as you please without guilt. You have to create some kind of a break. And, and the question I have is, and I, I think about it, it's like in integrity, right? How do you reintegrate those two sides of your self such that the side that knows that some animals are to be loved reintegrates with the side that created animals, some animals as objects so that you can recognize that all animals are there to be loved.
and and figuring out how to do that reintegration is 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 the big is the big work of our lives i think helping those people who have the disintegration to reintegrate you know i'm going to have melanie joy on the show i believe in february who wrote why we love dogs eat you know just is it love dogs wear cows and eat pigs or something like that her book uh oh she's frozen oops you're frozen too you're back am i back are you back Back? i'm back Are, are you back you got I'm back. Are you back? Maybe we better. <laughs> maybe we should say goodbye and not tempt fate and have you back when we have a strong internet connection and uh, and and do a little bit of a cooking demo. You know. Okay, we can do that. All right. So I've been posting the link if you guys want to find out more about the wonderful Kindred Spirit care farm or if you want to volunteer or if you want to make a urine donation or just learn more about it and visit it. Maybe if you're in the Los Angeles area, or maybe even get married there. That's what I would do. So <laughs> absolutely. And, you, and then you can have one of the emus be the ring bearer. <laughs> they have giant feet. I think they'd be terrible ring bearers, <laughs> but maybe we could have a goat be a ring. Oh, I have a cute lamb now would be a great ring bearer. Nice. Oh, lambs. Lambs are cute. They're all cute. I, I love your website though. I, I think that's the emu, the one with the little kind of fluff right here. Well, right. yes, and the orange eyes. The, I just love the one. I just love the hair on the guy that's on the website. You know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the emus are cool. There's they're six feet tall, and um, they can run thirty miles an hour. They're amazing. Great. Well, thanks so much. It's, it's great getting to know you. Thank you so much for the work you do, improving the lives of people and animals, which I really appreciate. And thanks all of you guys for putting up with I know a less than perfect audio. We'll see if we can get this fixed in post-production. And thanks for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow when my guest will be Dr. Wayne Dysinger. Dr. Dysinger was the head of the, of the preventative medicine department at Loma Linda for years. He's a past president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and he has my personal medical doctor. We get more emails to our website asking who people can go to, a vegan doctor, than anything else. And now we have one that can see you regardless of where you are in the world through telemedicine. He is absolutely amazing and he can help you and he'll be here tomorrow. Thanks again, Karen. Take care. Thank you. You too.